I am so excited about this morning, and those who were here Wednesday night, like, the Holy Spirit just wrecked this house. I came home, and when I say that's, that's a good thing, uh, that's a generate. I told you I've been at youth camp, so, so bear with me with a few, like, if I, if I speak uh, like that. But here's the thing. Um, Wednesday night, I got home, my wife said, how was it? And I said, well, God moved. And she goes, tell me about it. And I said, well, God moved. And she goes, tell me about it. And I said, God moved. And she kept saying, well, tell me about it. And I just, I couldn't speak about it. Like, I just couldn't. It's not that I didn't want to tell her. It was just that I just could not put words to it. And this Wednesday night, what we did was we went on a journey of the nation of Israel and how Moses climbed the hill and for 40 days was with God. And right before he left, God saw what was going on with the golden calf and he was ready to destroy the nation of Israel. Exodus 32, if you want to go back and look at it. And Moses pleads before God, and God relents his anger. And my question was, and I want to kind of ask the full fellowship of believers here today. Are you willing to be Moses? Ascend the hill of the Lord and plead on behalf of this nation before God. But what that requires is, first falling on your face and allowing God to search you, to empty you. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord but who has clean hands and a pure heart? Are you willing to go forth before the Lord and are you willing to to do what it takes? And I pray that our answer is yes, and here's why. Not that we can continue life like it's been, but that we can have the time of continually sharing the gospel that people will see Christ and that they can also come in here and shout with us, Jesus saves. Right? Amen? That is my prayer. My prayer is not, God, you know, do not, do not allow the anger or the wrath to come down so that we can continue in this, this easy whatever, like just the, the prosperity of America. My prayer is, God, allow us to continue and allow us to go forth because there are people who are dying and going to hell. And they need Jesus. They need to see the King high and lifted up. And that is what God's called us to do. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, many of you know that I like to dissect Scripture, so today we'll be in two verses. Is that okay? Just two. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you know this Scripture. Many of you know it by heart. Um... But before we go there, and y'all just go on and flip over there, obviously I always start, those who don't know me, um, and and those who are visitors, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor that you would be here today. Uh, And those that are visitors, I'm David, I'm the youth pastor here at Luke 418. And God commissioned me a long time ago, 10 years ago, and I promised the Lord that I would always share 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4, and 5 before I preached. Because this is my cry, this is my heart's calling It says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but by the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Listen to me, congregation. If the Lord doesn't speak today, it is pointless for you to be here. And so my prayer is, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the power of God, the Word of God, will be breathed over you today, that lives will be changed And that sanctification will happen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Everybody there? Y'all ready? It's on the screens. Therefore, we got to stop right there. Now, I promise, we'll get through two verses, I hope. But I'm going to be right there at that word, therefore, for the next ten minutes or so. And then we'll move on. Whenever you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, you must ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Because... If you're going to continue to read Scripture, and sometimes we'll just say, okay, we're going to memorize this verse and that verse and this verse, and we begin to lose the context of what's going on. And so when you look at Scripture and you see the word therefore, I always put, and I'm a precept guy, but I always put a little uh, arrow going back to the Scripture above it and say, what's the therefore, therefore? Now, many of you know Hebrews chapter 11. Some of us call it the hall of faith. Right? And so in Hebrews chapter 11, you begin to see the lives of so many people who have gone before us. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we also, since are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So what he's saying here is, let's go back to Hebrews 11. Let's see who the great cloud of witnesses are, the people who have gone before you and have walked in the faith have gone forth. Now, I'm sitting there last night, and I'm at summer camp, and let me tell you all something. I'm sitting here trying. I'm like, Lord, I need a word. Like, I'm listening. I am crying out. And the God was speaking mightily at camp. And I'm sitting there, like, being at camp, getting this, putting this word together. And I, and I told God, I said, Lord, when I get there on Sunday morning, I am intentionally there, and you have a word for, for the people here. So speak to me. And I didn't want to just come back with a message that the speaker guy at camp wrote um, or put together, the Lord, because that was for those people. That was for the camp. And so I'm sitting there, and the Lord begins to take me back. He said, don't forget, what's the therefore, therefore? I go back to chapter 11, and I want to just kind of show you verse 32 and on. And I'll read it, and I'm kind of a little bit fast, so y'all bear with me. But I'm going to read chapter 11, verse 32 and on. And what more shall I say, for time has failed me. I'll tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, because mighty in war put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others... Let me stop there. How many of y'all are excited? That's like, who wants to be that? I mean, that's pretty cool. That is like, I'm sitting here like, Lord, that is me. Let's go. I want to be in that category. But then you see in verse 35, it says, But others and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking, scourging, yes, and also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Well, let's go back to that first. I want to be in that first group. Sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. And they went out in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Verse 39, it says, And all. What does the word all mean? All. All. These having gained approval through their faith. When I read that, you know what came to my mind and what the Holy Spirit just smacked me right across the face was? He said, David, that scripture right there nullifies the prosperity gospel. 
it completely destroys the idea of the prosperity gospel. And what scares me is this. If I were to ask you in this room, how many of you do not believe in the prosperity gospel? Did I, not, I didn't do a noble negative. How many of y'all dislike, don't believe in the prosperity gospel? Everybody's going to raise their hand, I, I believe. 99 plus percent are going to raise their hand and say, yes, that's, I, I, I don't see the prosperity gospel in the scripture. But here's my fear is that roots of the prosperity gospel has taken its roots within believers across America. Even though they don't believe in the prosperity gospel, roots have taken its place. And let me explain to you why. All of us would say, thank you Lord for blessing me with and filling a material item. All of us would say, thank you Lord for blessing me with health. Thank you Lord for blessing me financially. Those are Blessings. But very few of us would say, Thank you, Lord, for blessing me for the trial that I'm going through because it's making me look more like Jesus. Very few of us will go back to James and say, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Very few of us will go back to the book of Acts when Paul or Peter, excuse me, says, I count it worthy. I've been counted worthy to suffer. For the kingdom of God. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, and let me tell you something, I'm guilty. And the Lord has put me on my face, crying out for forgiveness. But if that's you and you're saying, man, I grumble and, and, and fight through temptation or struggles and trials and all these things. And I'm like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you kidding me? Where are you? But then when you get this... One thing over here that's material or whatever, you say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. If that's you today, and I'm telling you, I think I could probably stop the message right here, and we can just get on our face and cry out to God. Because if that's you today, then the roots of the prosperity gospel is beginning to try to come and entangle you. And I get it because we're living within this culture. We're living in the American dream. This culture And we've been so blessed, but here's my fear, is that we're turning blessings into curses sometimes. To the fellowship, listen, we're going to go through trials and we need to thank God for it because we look more like Him when we get through it. Many of you know my story. Five, six years ago, I was diagnosed with a non-curable disease called myasthenia gravis. Autoimmune disease. And here's the thing. I will never forget this day. It was one of the few times that I was like, I look back and I say, man, thank you, Lord, for for allowing me to be focused in on you in the moment. Because I remember saying to God, Lord, whatever you're doing through this disease, don't allow it to be removed from me until you've taught me everything you want me to learn through it. And all the people that are around me that are watching. Remember Joseph? What all did he go through? It's a pretty, pretty rough uh, list of things that we don't really have time to go into. Thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, lied about. All that he could be second in command of all of Egypt. Not for him. For the nation of Israel and for their salvation through the drought. God may be taking you through a trial, a tribulation, a struggle. And here's the thing. It could be that other people need to see the gospel of Jesus Christ through the way you live in the midst of the struggle. 
Hebrews chapter 11, 32 and on, talking about the hall of faith, it debunks, completely wipes out, nullifies the prosperity gospel. And so are we going to be willing to live and say, God, you are the sovereign king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. You give me wisdom and you give me faith. God, I'm trusting you with it all. And whatever you take me through today, I'm going to follow you. He knows way better than we do. This is the same God who said, let there be light and the sun came and a lot other. He said, let there be earth. And earth was created. It's the same God who says that he reigns and all other authorities under his foot. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to be willing to say, God, I'm opening my hands to you and I'm not holding anything back. Use me, mold me, shape me, and take me through whatever you want to take me through for your purpose, for your glory, and for your honor. Not like this. God, you can have half of my life and not this part. In the scripture, it says, raise up holy hands in the sanctuary. You want to know why? Because your hands are open, empty. For us to be able to do that means that we are laying it all down. The holiness comes because Jesus Christ lives in us. It's the blood of the Lamb. It's the Holy Spirit. Therefore, 12.1. Guys, these are the people who is the great cloud of witnesses. Some of them have been sawed in half. Praise God, they got a new body, right? Some of them have gone through torture. Some of them have shut the mouths of lions. This is a great cloud of witnesses. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, guys, we have a group of people cheering us on, saying, go! I've been there! I've been there! Keep running! It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares, or some Bibles say, entangles us. Now, how many of y'all have ever seen the start of a race, a running race? How many of y'all ever been to a marathon, half marathon, 5K, uh, one-mile fun run? Uh, Some of y'all are like, what's a one-mile fun run? (laughs) Running to the, the kitchen and back is about as fun as it gets, right? And how many of y'all have gotten to the, the start line and watched the runners, and maybe you are a runner, and you get up there, and they say, well, hey, give me as many chains as you can. Let's wrap them around my legs, and let's put them over my shoulders, and let's, let's, let's shackle myself all like this, and now let's go. You, I've never seen it. If anybody's ever seen it, raise your hand. Good, nobody's lying today. I've never seen that. See, the scripture says, let us lay aside every weight that entangles us and the sin which easily entangles us or ensnares us. Let me ask you this question. Are you seeking God for him to open your eyes and your heart to see the sins that entangle you? Some of you know exactly things in your life that you need to lay down. Without me going any further, you already, the Holy Spirit has already revealed to you right now things you need to lay down. Some of you are saying, David, I don't know of anything off the top of my head, but I know there's a lot within me that I need to lay down. This morning I was driving here, obviously I was coming back from camp, and I was driving here and the Lord said, now David, you need to do the speed limit. And I was like, Lord, i got to get to church. He said, you are the church. I said, yes, sir. And I said, 
Well, I was sitting there. <laughs> Y'all are not going to like me in this moment. I was sitting there driving back and I said, okay, God, I'm going to do the speed limit because you told me today to do the speed limit. And then I said, well, I shouldn't preach about that because the Lord told me today to do the speed limit. And I was like, wait, he really tells us every day to obey the laws. And I was like, oh. And so I'm asking, what are the things that so easily entangles us as we're running the race that God's called us to? Why do you strap yourself down with things and hold on to things that you are supposed to lay down at the foot of the cross to continue running the race? Why? Because you think you can do it. You don't want to give up your stuff. I've heard the old saying, these are my problems and I'm happy with them. These are my struggles and I'm happy with it. we've got to be willing and say, God, I want to lay it down. Some of y'all, I told you, I said, some of you know right now things that the Lord's telling you to lay down. Sins in your life. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus and he, revival begins to break forth. I was going to preach on Acts 19, but the Lord has kind of moved me into Acts 19, but mainly in Hebrews 12. In Acts 19, revival breaks forth, and by the way, it starts with a church. It starts with the 12 that he's discipling, pouring into, and guess what happens? They come back after two, three years of, of training, and then Ephesus, Ephesians, Ephesus is not the same. Because they got sanctified. The Holy Spirit was dwelling in them. And let me tell you something, these false gods called Artemis and all the others that were there, they can't stop the power of the living God. And so revival begins to break forth in Ephesians. Of Ephesus. And all of a sudden, everybody begins to disclose their practices, as in shares with each other what's going on. Some of y'all are like, whoa, I've never seen that happen in the church. We're supposed to be real with each other. But here's the thing as they disclosed their practices, they brought their witchcraft or Wiccan books, they brought their books and they placed them on the fire and burned them. And then they say in Acts 19, it says how pricey or how valuable all the stuff was they burnt. They did not care the cost that they had paid to get the stuff that was taking them away from the Lord Jesus. They were willing to lay everything down no matter what it cost them to get it because they wanted Jesus. They wanted to run with Christ. They wanted the Holy Spirit to fill them. Now here's the thing. I want you to think about this for a second. They burned them. Why did they burn them? First off, I think that the fire represents cleansing. Think about that for a second. God cleanses through fire. Fire cleanses. You put gold into fire, what happens? It burns away the, the dross. Is that the right words? how you say that? And then it becomes even more purified. But I also believe it's for this reason too. They burned their books so they couldn't go back to them. Have you ever tried to put ashes together and create your book back? doesn't work. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4 says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and the striving against sin. Hey, newsflash, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right there with you as the Holy Spirit speaks this. We got to take sin a lot more serious than we do in laying it down at the foot of the cross. 
Have you resisted to the point of blood? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Have you been willing to say, God, I want so much to run after you that I'm going to lay even the stuff that I paid so much money for, I'm going to lay on the fire so I can't go back to it. I've had people tell me before, they say, David, uh, I'm struggling with, with this or I'm struggling with that. And I'll tell them, uh, especially, uh, and, and, and many people know that this is a very uh, strong epidemic in America but pornography, and I'll say, well, what, where, where are you struggling with that from? And, and they'll say their computer, and I say, well, why don't you uh, get rid of your computer? What? Well, then you don't want it that bad. You don't want it that bad. David, i got to have my computer. Oh, you do? Well, you can't discipline yourself enough to be around it, to use it for what God's created it for you to have it therefore you're using it for something else and so since you can't discipline yourself just get rid of it if you really want to remove the sin out of your life in acts 19 they burned it are you willing to remove the the things that so easily entangles you you say david that kind of stuff sounds like like kind of like a, a holy roller hey i would much rather be considered radical or a holy roller than be tempted every day knowing that i could go over here and do this or do that Because I kept and hold it on to something that only brought about evil in my life. Are we going to get serious about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are we going to continue just to meddle with the things of this world? He says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Tonight, today, this morning, we need to fall on our face and say, God, please don't let us run with the prosperity gospel because that's putting chains around us. God, show us the things in our lives that we need to lay down. We need to get freedom. It says if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Quit running to the things of this world. Run to the King who's made you free. Remove the, 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 the tangles that are all over you. And here's the thing. When you say, David, it's too big for me, you have just added another chain to yourself because you've just believed a lie from the evil one. Because if you say that it's too big for you to be able to remove it, then you're saying your God's not big enough. And let me remind you, he spoke this earth into creation. Let me remind you that when he spoke and said, let there be light, light came out of his mouth at 188,000 miles a second. That's how fast light travels. 5.88 5.88 trillion light year or miles per year. That's how big our God is. He's so big that he knows every star by name. He's so big that when you have hair, he knows every hair on your head. He's so big that he knows each one of you intimately. And he's so big that he dwells in your heart if you believe. I've shared this before, but can you imagine the people of Ephesus? They've been worshiping Artemis and Artemis' great temple, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Now it's just ruins. I love it. Sorry, I get really excited about that. This false god 2,000 years later. Ah, sorry, all you got is pillars. But can you imagine? All of a sudden, they go from worshiping Artemis and this big temple to, well, where's God? Oh, he's in your hearts. So the people of Ephesus probably said, well, look at our God. Look at our goddess. And they said, oh, well, ours doesn't have to have anything made by hand. Ours lives in our heart. That's so cool to me. Sorry, I just totally chased a rabbit there, but I had to go there. We're almost through verse 1. 
Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance of sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let me just tell you all something. Your job is not to remove the things that entangle you so that you can sit there on a pew or a chair. Your job is not, God, empty me and remove all the stuff that I will sit here. God has called you to run a race. Some of y'all are saying, thank you, Lord, that this is just a, a spiritual interpretation here. But no, it's life. It's every moment, every second. It is your race. I don't know when yours will end, and I don't know when mine will end. But God has called you to run in a race. And it says there in chapter 12, verse 1, it says that this is an endurance race. Let me tell you about an endurance race. They're long. They take a lot of time. They take a lot of training. They take a lot of preparation. They take a lot of discipline. They take a lot of time to to build yourself, to be able to continue every step. And let me tell you something. They're painful. Especially when you make mistakes along the way. We are to run. One of my concerns about running the race is this, is that some people are on the wrong course. You know, many of y'all know that I just ran three weeks ago, I ran my first full Ironman in Texas. And I was sitting there thinking, because you can actually wear goggles, and, well, everybody wears goggles in the swim portion, but you can actually wear like snorkels and stuff like that, but you're disqualified. And I was sitting there thinking, why would somebody do a 2.4-mile swim, knowing that then they're going to go to a 112-mile bike ride and a 26.2-mile run, all to know that they're already disqualified. I don't know about y'all, but I have no motivation for that. Zero. But you know there's people in life that are religious, traditional. There are people who proclaim God, but yet really don't have Christ living in their life. They're going to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. There's people in this world that, that don't believe in God and will tell you they don't believe in God. There's people in this world who believe in false religions that are on a race and they think they're running and they're going to get to the finish line and realize they were on the wrong course. Can you imagine if I would have gone 16 hours and 55 minutes, 140.6 miles, all to find out that I ran the wrong course? And you think about me as a human in a one-day event being saddened. There's people that are going to give their life for a lot of things. And they're going to come through the shoot of life and the cloud of witnesses aren't going to be sitting there congratulating them. They'll probably be weeping. I don't know how theologically that part right there was, but here's the thing. I want you to grasp this. As they cross at the finish, they're going to say, look at all that I did and look at my good life and look, I provided for my family and all these things and God's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. If you're that person today and you're running life and you don't realize the purpose or the course that you're on, if you've never had, if you've never seen Christ as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, I pray that today your eyes will be opened and your heart will hear the voice of the Lord calling And that today will be the day of salvation. There's a lot of people in this world that are on the wrong course, y'all. And they're given everything they got to run. And they're already disqualified until they have the blood of Jesus upon them. 
I sit here and I think about this endurance race. And I'm going to share just a few things about what God taught me spiritually through running this race a couple weeks ago. And let me tell you something. When you have 17 hours to complete it and in your mind you're thinking you're going to do it in about 13 and you cross with four minutes left to go, that's pretty humbling. And so I tell you the things that the Lord has taught me. I promise you this is out of just a complete purity of spirit as the Lord has just revealed so much. And let me tell you something. You get out there and start running, the Lord will speak to you. You ain't got nobody else to talk to. So one, I realize that we have to be on the right course. It says in uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, they must complete according to the rules. If we don't complete, compete according to the rules, then we will not hear my good and faithful servant. When you're on an endurance race, you must eat, you must drink, you must provide nutrition. Many of you know that two years ago I ran my first 70.3 Ironman and I forgot to eat. And my body literally was shutting down to the point they took me straight to the medic tent. Let me tell you all something. When I ran the 70.3, it took me two and a half weeks to recover. When I ran the 140.6, it took me three days to recover. That's the difference of not nutritioning, not eating properly. I eat nothing on the race. When I got to the finish line, I fell over. My wife said, please do not let me ever have to see you in this position again. My body was literally trying to eat itself to get energy to continue on. But here's the thing. When you're in an endurance race, you must eat and you must drink. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst. When you are on this race of life, if you are not being filled by the Word of God, if you are not eating and feasting upon the Word of God, you will get hungry. And praise God for it. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Guys, we cannot run this race of life, and we can definitely not run it well, but we cannot run this race of life without God being our sustainer. We must go to Him and be filled. This is an endurance race, a whole lot farther than 140 miles. This is life. And here's what breaks my heart. And I'm sorry, church, the Holy Spirit has... I shouldn't even say I'm sorry. I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit said. When we get hungry in life, really, like like, like food hungry, I want to eat physical food, guess what we do? We go to the, to the refrigerator. When we get hungry and we're driving down the road, guess what we do? We pull into Chick-fil-A. Right? Except for on Sundays, and then you just sit there for a little while. When we get hungry three different times a day for most of us, or six times a day if you're training for a race, we eat. But we value physical food a lot more sometimes than we value spiritual food. Because quickly we will go and fill our stomachs. But how often will we go weeks and weeks without getting into the bread of life, the word of God, that is our only true sustainer? How dare us value physical food over spiritual food? How dare us go and just, to whenever we want, here and there to eat, but say, okay, God, thank you, and, and never dive into His Word and be filled. Guys, you cannot pour out in life if you're not being poured into. 
you will empty and have nothing left. And you will find yourself just like I did in the race two years ago, having nothing, crawling, trying to make it another step. All because you neglected the true source, which is the Word of God. We must partake of the bread of life. If you're sitting there trying to go through life and you're saying, David, when you talked about earlier about, hey, uh, when you are going through suffering or trials and, man, I'm not giving glory to God, and how do I fix that? Well, you get washed by the, by the, by the Word of God. The more you're washed by the Word, the more you realize that suffering and trials are blessings. The more you're washed by the Word of God, the more you sense the Holy Spirit within your life. He's living through you. You're running for the King of kings and Lord of lords, and all you want is His name to be glorified in your life. When you want yourself to be glorified in your life, you're going to be struggling through suffering. When you want the King of kings' name to be glorified, you're going to say, hey, through this time, how can I bring glory to the name of Jesus? That diagnosis, and you're like, man, what do I do? I got a diagnosis. I don't know what to do. My life could be ending. You let people know of the hope of eternal life because this is not the end. Some of you will know when the finish line's coming. The older you get, you're like, okay, the finish line's coming. Right? Some of you, even in your younger years, might know the finish line's coming, but a lot of us won't know when the finish line's coming. So we run as hard as we can. Being filled by the Spirit, fueled by the King, we keep going step by step. Is it painful? Absolutely. Why? Because the flesh and the world is going to continue to come after you. Let me share this with you too. The day I became a triathlete was the day I decided that I would start running my first race. Training for my first race. A lot of people would say, well, it's when you cross the first finish line. No, it's actually when I started and made that decision, I was going to be a triathlete. And here's why I say that. In the book of Hebrews chapter 3, it says that you will know true believers that endure through to the end. Which means salvation comes and then sanctification. Here's what I want you to see here is this. Too often... And the reason I said, well, let me go back. The reason I said that about triathlete and the day that I decided I was going to start, I ran and I couldn't even run a mile without, (gasps) I needed oxygen. I couldn't do it. But I disciplined and I trained and I trained and I trained to be able to get to a point and cross a finish line. It took 10 and a half months of training. But I remember the first day when I went out and I ran, I was like, this is terrible. But I started where I was at. And here's what I want you to see here. In this race of life, we're going to be bringing people alongside of us. And we have to remember that salvation comes before sanctification. If sanctification, if you're trying to make sanctification in somebody's life come before salvation, then you're doing nothing more than behavior modification. And God's not in behavior modification. He's in soul transformation. And when soul transformation happens in people's lives, their lives and their behaviors will change because their soul has been changed. They've been brought to life. 
So let's go out there and share the gospel along the race of life and loving on people and letting them know about Jesus and that Jesus saves and not try to change a behavior modification. Let's give them the source of life, which is Jesus Christ, that their soul may be transformed and that they may come to life. Then guess what? They're on the race with you. Obviously, I, many of y'all know the story, and a lot of y'all stayed up and watched. I'm sorry, I kept y'all till midnight watching that race to see if I'd finish. And I get home, and all of a sudden, I've got three buddies that are now going to run a short race with me in August. It's 20 miles, 24 miles. But what I realized in that is this. I realized that when you start running and you start running and you start disciplining and you start training and God starts moving through your life and, 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 and your life is looking more and more like Christ, you're going to have people who say, I want to come along and be part of that. I want the hope of glory in my life. The same that you have. Are you willing to remove the things that entangle you? Are you willing to give up the sins, the struggles? Are you willing to walk away from the prosperity roots that might have come into us? Are you willing to say, God, I'm removing it all. I'm running. I'm going to be fueled by you, and I'm going to the finish line as hard as I can. I'm running. Are you willing to say, David, God, not me, God, I am here and I am empty and removing of self and God, take me, let's go. Listen, discipline and training is painful. It says that the flesh must be crucified. I don't know about y'all, but I've never seen a crucifixion that wasn't painful. Isaiah chapter 6, he says that the coals come and touch his lip. Let me ask you something. I think we've missed this sometimes. How many of y'all ever had a hot coal touch your lips? That's pretty hot. Lips are a very sensitive area. You put a hot coal on it, it hurts. Training, discipline, being able to get yourself to the finish line is going to be painful because the flesh is coming your way. It's going to come after you. It's going to try to entangle you. And you have to go step by step. And when you can't feel your legs anymore, you keep going. Because you know that there's a purpose. There's a reason, and you know that it's going to end. Let me share these two things, and then we'll be done today. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Guys, when I ran this race three weeks ago, all I could think about was that there's going to come a point that I'm going to be done whether I'm pulled out of the race because it's over or because I finished. And some of y'all are saying, man, this life is tough. Hey, praise God, there's coming a day. It's going to be over, and you're going to be standing before the King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be no more weeping. There will be no more sin. We will rejoice because our God reigns forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There's coming a day, guys, that it will be over. We must fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith and run to the finish line. I'm going to weep sharing this because it just... God healed me four, three years, four years ago. 
And many of you know that at mile 10 of this race, I got overhydrated. No, you could do that. Went into shock, or my body was going into shock. By the prayer of Luke 418 Fellowship and all those around the world or around the nation that were praying for me, the Lord allowed my body to get back into sync, and I picked up and said, okay, let's just go. we got 16 miles to go. Three miles out, I could hear the roar of the crowd, thousands of people. They had a horseshoe-type chute, and there was, I say, at least a thousand people around that horseshoe. And every time a person would cross, the place went crazy. Guys, think about that. When you cross that finish line of life, the, the, the crowd of witnesses, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, the patriarchs, all those that have gone before you, your family members that have gone before you, and they're going crazy because you're coming into the chute, and you're going to finish, and you're going to finish well. I was three miles out, and I needed that every step because every time I heard it, I was like, let's go. Then I heard it again. I said, let's go. And then when I turned in that chute and I saw all the people, and the guy came over and they say on the microphone as you're crossing, and they yell out, David Bullock, you are an Iron Man. That's what they yell out. And all I could think about was four years ago I was a man with a disease. And then my God healed me. For His glory and His glory alone. But here's what I want you to know. There's coming a day, and my healing has nothing on my salvation. And what I mean by that is, is, that, is that the greater of the miracle is the fact that God brought me from death to life. I don't want to focus so much on a healing, and y'all miss the fact that God saved my soul. And here's the thing, there's coming a day, and I'm going to cross that finish line, and many of you will as well, and we'll cross the finish line of life, but God's not going to be sitting there with a microphone saying, David Bullock, you're an Iron Man. He's going to say, David Bullock, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Come in, my good and faithful servant. And the crowd of witnesses will be going, praise God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because only because of Him can you come through the finish line of life and stand before the throne of the Almighty, holy King of Kings. Luke 4.18 Fellowship, are you ready to go on the race? Because many of you are already on the race. Let's get fueled up. Let's allow the discipline and, and, and the discipleship and the training to allow us to go even faster and even harder. Sharing the gospel to the nations that others will come alongside of us and run with us until we get to the finish line. But it all goes back to For those that are on the race, are you willing to lay it all down? He's either Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. Are you willing to lay it down? For those that are in this room and you say, David, I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't have the hope of eternal life. If I die, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what would happen to me. Let me tell you something. I see throughout Scripture that God talks about a place called hell, and it was created for Satan. And his demons. And his followers. But the problem is is that when Adam came and sinned, we became enslaved to the evil one. And it requires the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins to be forgiven. This morning, if you're in that place, if, if you're saying, David, the Lord is speaking to me. The Lord has opened my eyes. I want to rejoice with you. I want to rejoice with you. 
This morning, the altar's going to be open as we close here in just a minute. The altar's going to be open. If you're saying, David, I've got stuff entangling me, coming all over me. I've got to lay some stuff down. Remember Acts 19, they burned it. Get rid of it. I need to say today, I'm going to get rid of it. Let me tell you something. I'm not perfect. I struggle with things. I have times where my attitude's not right. I'm just going to be real with you all. We all do. And if you sit there and think you don't, then you need to get on your face before God and let him talk to you. Are you willing to say, search me and know me, O Lord. Show me an evil way about me. Are you willing to say, God, I want to run without the entangles of this world. I want to run and not grow weary. I want to walk and not faint. That, this morning, if that's you, we're going to be down here. And I've asked uh, some of the, the elders to come also and just to be here for prayer. Uh, we're going to pray with you. I, listen, worship didn't start at 930 this morning. Worship started as soon as you woke up. And so worship doesn't end at 11 o'clock. I know that we have a schedule and we're going to follow that schedule. But when you leave this place, worship ain't over. And so we're going to be here, and I'll be here as long as we need to this morning. And I'll be here to pray with you. We have elders, like I said, deacons that will be here to pray with you as well. Whatever the Lord is doing, I pray that you will be willing and walk in obedience to do exactly what he's called you to do.